0: Happy happy day to you! Happy day before launch day! Happy day before Christmas! Um, and so, just just generally, I hope you're having a fabulous and wonderful day. I'm um, so excited! I feel like I start every podcast saying that I'm so excited because there's just something new happening almost every day in space. Um, but welcome to Space Talk. I'm the host, Athena Rensberger, um, and I'm just so. So grateful to be here. Um, So if you're celebrating Merry Christmas Eve, Uh, tomorrow is Christmas Day. And what better way to celebrate than with a morning rocket launch? First thing in the morning, you have the launch of, at last, the James Webb Space Telescope. This has been such a long, long wait, a long due date for this launch. Uh, This is one of the most monumental and uh, delicately put together a telescope. This is going to be a space telescope. So this is going to just really, I think, bring so much more than what Hubble has brought. And the Hubble Space Telescope has already done so much for modern day astrophysics. So the James Webb Space Telescope is launching tomorrow. Well, how you can catch that is starting at 7.20 a.m., eastern standard time now that's when the launch is so tune in a little earlier than that uh, so that you don't miss it because that's when liftoff is estimated to be the launch window is approximately an hour so up until um about the eight o'clock 8 a.m eastern standard time hour uh, would be the final uh possibility if, if in case it gets delayed Otherwise, if it gets postponed for whatever reason, um, it would get pushed to the same time the next day, so Sunday at 7:20 a.m. Eastern Time. But for now, it is go for launch for tomorrow, and I am so excited for that. If you want to tune in and watch it, uh, just head to the NASA YouTube channel. That's where they're going to be uh, hosting it. That starts at about 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to catch the very beginning of um, of the, just the launch commentary, the press interviews with some of the researchers that are going to be working with the scope, probably some of the engineers as well. You can definitely catch that. Otherwise, if you want to watch it in other languages like French or in Spanish, you can head to the European Space Agency. They're also streaming this. So European Space Agency, check out their Instagram, um, sorry, or their, their Facebook. They're also going to be doing it on Facebook and Twitter um, same live streams or also going to YouTube. And that's how you can catch a launch. So I really hope that you just yeah get up early, make a cup of coffee for Christmas morning and check out this launch. So I am personally t- excited. I feel like I'm tied to this launch because of um, the the launcher. So the launch vehicle that's going to be bringing the scope to space. It's an Ariane space rocket. So it's uh, the Ariane five is the number. Um, and this is a, a heavy launch, a heavy lift launch vehicle. So it's able to carry a lot of heavy weight, um, a lot of cargo and it launches out of um, South America in French Guiana. So it's really like border bordering the Amazon jungle. It's like really, really cool. Um, and it's right on the coast. So this is why the launch is happening. And something else that you might not know why launches sometimes happen as close to the equator as possible is because the earth is slightly oblate. It's it's not perfectly spherical, it's an oblate spheroid. And so because it's slightly spherical, it bulges at the equator and hence having a little bit of a head start of escaping earth's gravitational uh, pull and being able to reach escape velocity. And then being able to also just have a little bit more of, um, yeah, just an extra launch getting out to space because this is gonna have a very long journey to get to where it needs to get to. So something cool a lot of people might've asked or have been concerned about is does this mean that Hubble is going to be absolutely no more? Now, although there is an expected due date of Hubble to uh, eventually be uh, going out of service, It will be working with James Webb for a while. So they're going to be working together, these two telescopes, uh, which is pretty exciting. Now, unlike the Hubble, which orbits around Earth, so this is actually going to be orbiting around the sun. So it's not going to be as close to Earth as the Hubble Space Telescope is. So it's actually going to be heading to an area called Lagrange Point or the second Lagrange point, also known as L2. And this is going to be about 1.5 million kilometers or 1 million miles away from Earth. So it's going to be a very, very long journey. Um, well, actually not time-wise, but distance-wise, yes. Uh, in fact, time-wise, um, it'll take about 30 days for the James Webb telescope to reach the start of its orbit at Lagrange point 2. And then it's only going to take about three days for it to get as far away as the moon's orbit is, uh, which is about a quarter of the way there. So um, it's going to be reaching L2 and then it's going to um, start checking on all of the different uh, functions of of the telescope, making sure that they work properly. So one, 7.20 a.m., you want to catch that tomorrow morning. Two, it's launching on an Ariane 5 rocket. Which is a French space agency, um, so Ariane Group and Ariane Space, Ariane they are the manufacturers of the rockets, the ones who make this mission even possible, and then launching out of the Kourou spaceport, which is down in Kourou, French Guiana, and they're going to be launching out of that. And this is partnered with the European Space Agency, so this is a really big internationally collaborative telescope. We have. Uh, this the European Space Agency also have NASA that is working on this mission as well because of the engineers that are part of making of space teles- the, the Hubble Space Telescope. So this is a very awesome and important mission. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, just sort of like a, a visualization of what it's like at the crew, uh, spaceport. So when I was there, I, got, I had the chance to go inside the clean room and the clean room is the area where the spacecraft is taken in and it's hypersanitary in there. You have to go through, um, a, like a vacuum chamber that will actually make sure that you're cleansed That's you're going inside of this sort of like spherical tube, um, making sure that you're clean. Um, you have to take off your, your shoes, your socks, wear their socks, and then they give you a jumpsuit and a hairnet. And when you go inside, um, it is just a huge white box, basically. It's like a massive room. Um, I think the ceilings are somewhere around like probably around 40 40 to 100 feet uh, ceiling. So it's really massive because it has to fit really big things in here. Um, So including the the Hubble Space Telescope. So it arrives, um, I believe it's typically by boat. And then it's brought into... Um, they, there's like two different compartments that it has to go through first at the spaceport. They have to check it, make sure that it arrives. Okay. Transfer it onto, uh, like a crawler type of machine. So, so small, uh, wheeled machine that can carry it into the the clean room. And then the clean room has these massive doors that open and then it slides in, they close the doors and then they start like the entire cleaning process is uh, probably a few people I could actually bring on the show who uh, work on spacecraft, who have worked in the clean room, So they definitely can explain it a lot better than I could. Um, Cause when I was in this clean room, it was empty at the time. And so I didn't get to see the entire process, but it is very fascinating. So um, that is the Ariane, a little bit of a, my, my, my backgrounds uh, when it comes to that, this, the space company, um, and being around the Ariane 5 rocket. So once again, if you want to catch that launch, 7.20 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow, it's going to be launching on an Ariane 5 rocket. And you can check either the NASA YouTube channel or you can also check out the European Space Agency for other languages. I'm going to do a quick music break and then we're going to get into some more details. on James Webb. all righty let's jump back into it so we are going to go over where it's going to be located what it's going to be used for how it's going to collaborate with hubble and how we're going to communicate with it very important things when it comes to launching really uh delicate and and very important technology and not to mention very expensive technology Um, In fact, this is, I believe it is a, let me get the quote, $10 billion telescope and more than 25 years of work on it. So this is a very, very precious piece of equipment. They definitely don't want anything to go wrong when it launches. And of course, it needs to travel that 1 million mile distance to the second Lagrange point. So now let's go over what exactly Lagrange points are. So it actually starts with a mathematician during the 18th century with the name of Joseph Louis Lagrange. Basically, an easy way to sort of put it is he found a solution to something called the three-body problem. That's, uh, that is that there is not any stable configuration in which three bodies could orbit each other and yet stay in the same position relative to each other. Is it possible? Is it not? This is part of the three-body problem. It turns out that there are five solutions to this problem. And they were called the five Lagrange points after, of course, the guy who put this together and figured it out, the mathematician, Joseph Louis Lagrange. So uh, these Lagrange points basically are a gravitational pull of two large masses and reaching a point where they're precisely equal to the the centripetal force. So that is the centripetal force when an object is spinning around a center. Imagine you have um, like a, a heavy uh, pink can on a string, and you're spinning it in a large orbit, and then as you start to speed it up, it goes from being a big circle to a smaller circle, and it's spinning in a tinier circle. Centripetal force is this counteracting force between an object that is um, spinning and the distance between that center point of its orbit and where the object is, so its diameter. Another way you could test this out is if you sit in an office chair, something that spins, you hold out your arms and your legs and you ask someone to spin you. If you count down like three, two, one, and pull your arms and legs in, hence decreasing your diameter, you should be spinning faster, increasing your centripetal, acceler- your centripetal acceleration. That's what a centripetal acceleration is. It's an increase in speed due to the centrifuge force. So the centri- centripetal force. This applies to space. So exactly what's happening here, as I mentioned, the Lagrange points are the gravitational pull of two large masses. And that gravitational pull is equal to the centripetal force required for a small object to be able to move with them. So they're located at different places. Lagrange 1, 2, and 3 are all in line with each other. And four and five are at points of an equilateral triangle. Highly recommend looking at images of it um, if you can. It's, It's a lot easier to sort of see what exactly this is, where they're located. You have the sun, the earth, and then if you keep moving outward, you have Lagrange point two at about that one million mile point. Lagrange point one is located between earth and the sun. And then Lagrange point three is on the opposite side of the sun and Earth's orbit. And so, again, I highly recommend looking at diagrams for that. It'll just be a lot easier um, to to visualize this. So to give you a little bit of perspective, uh, the distance between the Earth and the moon is approximately 384,000 kilometers Hubble Space Telescope is orbiting around Earth about five hundred and seventy kilometers above Earth, and so for again another perspective, James Webb is going to be located much further away from Earth at about one point five million kilometers, so, as I mentioned, the one million miles for for conversion purposes, so kind of comparing this this distance of um, of where the Hubble Space Telescope currently is. So remember that the 547 kilometers, about 340 miles above Earth's surface. It completes about 15 orbits per day. And so that's about one every 95 minutes. You got that going on. And then you're going to have this other telescope, James Webb, really far away. And they're going to be working together, which I think is quite fascinating. So they're going to be working together. Um, let me give a little bit more background on... Um, Lagrange points. So a big reason why the telescope is going to be here, why why we chose this orbit, why researchers chose this orbit, is because the satellite has a large sun shield to protect the telescope from the light and the heat of the sun and the earth and the moon. Because the moon, the reason we see moonlight is that's reflected light off of the sun. And so this telescope is going to need a bit of a protection from this as a really awesome, large sun shield. And so this is going to be a pretty good location for it to now do what it's designed to do, which is to look deeper into the universe than we'd ever seen before. So it's going to be looking further back into the cosmos than the Hubble space telescope has been able to. And this is going to be really important because there's this, This area is this time period um, where it was just dark within the universe before the first stars appeared, which was only about 100 million years old when the universe was about 100 million years old. And so being able to see further back beyond the the maximum distance that uh, the Hubble Space Telescope was able to see is going to allow us to now peer further and into the closer to the point of the Big Bang, closer to the point of the start of the universe. And that's going to then bring us a better understanding of not only the expansion of our universe, but what the early stages might tell us about our future. Hubble was only able to see uh, galaxies that is still pretty, pretty old, about 400 million years after the Big Bang. And that was great. Yeah, that was record breaking. I mean, this was more than we'd ever been able to see before. And it showed us a lot. But the way that James Webb is going to be looking further is because it is specialized in collecting infrared light. The fact that it's collecting infrared light is very valuable because galaxies that are really far away from us, some of the earliest galaxies to have formed, are in the red-shifted wavelength. This is because they're moving further away from us So it is shifting into the red region of the electromagnetic spectrum. And so having, which is infrared light. And so having an infrared detector, it's going to now be able to gather so much more information about those dark ages, about that time in the universe that we hadn't been able to see before. Something else that's really important um, about what the James Webb Space Telescope is going to be looking for are exoplanets. And not just exoplanets, because we also have TESS, Transiting Exoplanetary Survey Satellite, that is searching for exoplanets. But James Webb is also going to be able to pick up information and data about the atmospheres around exoplanets. And that is extremely important for trying to find life beyond Earth. Because from how we know that life exists, the only t- way we, and time we've been able to find where life exists is here on Earth, with our atmosphere, with you know biological life, with stuff that requires water, air, shelter, all this stuff. And so in order to try to find life elsewhere in the universe, yes, it's possible, I would say, that there might be other types of life forms that maybe don't follow the same rule set as we do in order to survive. But that's our biggest understanding of how we formed, and so that's what we want to look for. These types of indicators on exoplanets: can we see an atmosphere? Is it a perfect distance to its host star, where it um, shouldn't get completely blown away by by um, a solar radiation or or stellar wind, or possibly undergoing a runaway greenhouse effect like Venus? Is it at a good distance? Is it not too far away where it's going to be freezing cold? So this is going to be something else that it's going to be looking at. How it's capable of doing this is because of its primary mirror. If you haven't seen what the Hubble Space Telescope looks like already, you have to go check it out. You, might, you probably could just see it in the news if you just type in Hubble anywhere. But it has a honeycomb structure. These hexagonal mirrors that all collected together end up being able to collect so much light. Gathering so much more light than even Hubble was able to gather. Its mirror is 6.5 meters in diameter compared to Hubble, which had only 2.4 meters. So this is now giving us seven times as much light gathering capability and ability to see into the past than Hubble was able to do. So this is this is really huge. This is going to bring us so much more um, Visualizations. I I'm just curious of how much sharper images could get of the universe. I mean, Hubble. I I I think like it can't be defeated. Like these images are so high definition, they're so crystal clear, and beautifully edited too. Also, a lot a lot of them are sharpened and they layer photos on top of each other. It just makes me curious how that can be improved in a new telescope. So I can't wait for the first images to come back from. Um, the James Webb, and hopefully they won't be blurry like Hubble was. I'm going to do uh, one more commercial break. Sorry, not commercial break, music break, commercials. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to jump back in to talk about how we're going to communicate with the telescope and what else it will be working on. All right. Jumping back in to talking about the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope tomorrow morning at 7.20 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch the live stream on NASA's YouTube channel or their Twitter or Facebook. They'll also be streaming it on there. Or if you want to watch it in French or Spanish, you can head to the European Space Agency's website or their youtube channel as well and they will be live streaming it there i highly recommend checking out this launch it's going to be so incredible for personal experience of seeing this exact rocket that's going to launch which is the Ariane 5 the sound and the rumble it makes in real life is incredible. If you have not seen a launch in person, I highly recommend you making that happen sometime in, in just in your lifetime, because it is such a, an awe-inspiring moment. It's unlike anything we really hear here on Earth. So it's really kind of cool. Um, totally also the powerful technology and to think about the capability that humans have come to the point where we're able to create these things, to make these rockets, and to send people up in them. But we're not talking about launching astronauts right now. We're talking about launching a really, really cool telescope. Uh, So, we've already gone over how it's getting there, where it's going, the second Lagrange point. If you want to learn a little bit about that, I spoke about it earlier in this episode, um, and I will be publishing it right after we finish this live. And then also what it's going to be looking for. It's going to be looking to a point in the universe where astronomers have not been able to see beyond that. Not something known as the dark ages. And this is going to bring a whole new perspective on what exactly happened after the big bang. How did things start to uh, form and eventually the first galaxies become visible? Um, I think that's going to bring a lot more perspective as well, which should be super cool. It's also going to be looking for exoplanets and their atmospheres um, and exploring that I hope that this will bring, oh my goodness, like new discoveries and images of exoplanets. Imagine seeing a picture of another planet and seeing clouds and an atmosphere. I mean, like that would just be so cool. And another planet, not in our solar system, actually, we'll say that because we, we already see the clouds on other planets, um, like the stripes on Jupiter, the bands and the widths, that's, those are, that's because of um, two different motions of the clouds in which they are moving due to the wind currents. Really kind of crazy. And so now getting back to the James Webb Space Telescope. So since it's going to be located at L2, it's going to make it a little bit easier uh, for us to talk to it as opposed to um, space probes that go really far out in our solar system to other planets like the Cassini probe or like Juno. And so uh, those are a little bit further away. So this one, about 1.5 million kilometers away, it's about 1 million miles. It's going to uh, be able to send a continuous amount of communications with Earth as it rotates through the Deep Space Network, DSN. The Deep Space Network are three large antennas on the ground, so here on Earth. They're located in Australia, Spain, and California. And a really cool thing is if you haven't been to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, I highly recommend you checking it out because they have the room there that they actually have a plaque called the center of the universe because that is where all the information from the satellites come to first. So everything from the Deep Space Network arrive to this point first, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, before it reaches anyone else, before they then send the information to other facilities. So that's really cool. That's going to be doing that. Uh, Jeb, the, the James Webb Telescope also is going to be able to uplink command sequences and then downlink data for up to twice per day through the deep space network. So having routine operations uh, like this, constantly bringing in new information is going to be uh, just an extra bonus, extra like benefit. The fact that we're going to be able to collect so much information and data um, at a pretty high rate. Few other things. That's pretty cool. Um, It's the it actually is going to be able to perform a sequence of commands like pointing and observing autonomously. So we don't necessarily have to uh, control the telescope. There are certain things that are programmed into it where it'll be able to perform, uh, yeah, a sequence of commands like pointing in certain areas of the sky, observing certain areas of sky. So this is going to be beneficial for researchers. Anyone who is working either on their PhD or beyond doing their own research in astrophysics. When you book out time to use the telescope, you'll be able to collect information on whichever area you want the, to- the scope to be in. And um, by the sound of this, with it running autonomously, sounds like you can just put in the commands and it'll run it on its own, as opposed to having to monitor it the every minute of the entire time that you book out the time for the scope, which is going to be really cool. And so um, the thing is, because we're going to have these daily uploads of data, uh, typically the Space Telescope Science Institute will upload a full week's worth of commands at a time and then make updates daily as needed. So this is going to be a lot more of a streamlined uh, setup for just yeah c- collecting data, uh, getting more information. And that's going to be very vital to those who are studying things like exoplanets, uh, low mass star systems because as i mentioned before most of the stars within our galaxy are actually low mass cold uh red red dwarf stars and brown dwarfs and so because of this um this is go- like there's going to be uh, more peering into these types of star systems the planets that orbit it where they're located and if there's a possibility that their atmosphere can sustain life so this is going to be really exciting i cannot wait especially now with tests transiting exoplanetary survey satellite you're going to have just the whole sky is now like monitored imagine if we have like 10 more of these telescopes launching to space 10 more 10 billion dollar 25 year telescopes (laughs) oh that would be so cool i think in our future by the time we're all grandparents that's probably going to be a thing which is going to be awesome so that's about everything I wanted to cover today as far as the Hubble Space Telescope goes. Um, again, catch it tomorrow morning as a wonderful way to start your Christmas morning at 7.20 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is when it launches. The live stream on NASA starts at 6 a.m. You can catch that on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, uh, or also European space agencies in French or Spanish. It's going to launch in an Ariane 5 rocket. And it's going to be located at the second Lagrange point, about 1.5 million kilometers away from Earth. And then it's going to be partnering with the Hubble Space Telescope to look at images of the night sky to, to collect more information about earlier, looking further back into the cosmos, uh, earlier than we've been able to see with with Hubble and peering into the time of the Dark Ages, which is after the Big Bang. And finally, using special infrared light and technology, it's going to look at earlier uh, galaxies as well that are redshifted away from us and be able to peer at the atmospheres of exoplanets. And finally, we're going to be able to communicate it with it on a daily uplink command sequence and downlink data twice per day through the deep space network. So I hope that if you are doing research in school or on your own as a postdoc, I hope that you get to book out time using the Hubble Space Telescope and the James Webb Space Telescope as they collaborate together. And if not, um, I hope you just get to enjoy some of the data and the information that's gonna come back. Because I think that peering into the year of 2022, we're gonna have a lot of news headlines about stuff discovered in space. So on that note, I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope you get to go tune into the launch. Until next time, add Astra.